0: What do you want? To dedicate a podcast to you. <laughs> Gonna talk about giallo movies just for you. The only thing I'd like, I'd really like, is to meet you face to face. It'll happen sooner or later, but you don't have to recognize us thanks however you disappoint me duck you throw a challenge my way
1: i almost forgot the most important part we go by creep
0: creeperson and chris and this is chow chow got it
1: the harbor a phone booth sitting right near pier 11 i'll get out the apb move you bastard
0: Ciao, everybody, and welcome to episode 61 of Jalo Chow Chow, the all Jalo show, where me and Chris are going to talk about some Jalo.
1: Yeah! <laughs> Jalo! Fuck yeah! Oh, wait, isn't that America? Jalo,
0: excellent.
1: Oh, that
0: was so fucking stupid!
1: Stupid, I can't believe I did that. (laughs) I think, um, speaking of like ridiculously dumb movies, um, I'm waving to my wife who's saying hello because she just got home from work. Hi, dear. Hi. That's where she comes from? We're on the air, yeah. I thought it would be through that door behind you. The door behind me? No, the door behind me is the oil tank, which isn't in the ground. It's actually above the ground.
0: This, wow! This, this door, this door. Yeah, I'm yep. so confused about the layout of your house now.
1: <laughs> so my a desk is in front of me, and it, yeah, I forget it. It, it. it's it's kind of context is all busted up. But um, no, I was gonna say. Uh, speaking of like really dumb movies, I'm thinking about going to see Sausage Party this weekend. Um, because it looks hilarious. I think I'm gonna. Go have like four or five beers and then go see it and see what I think.
0: Um, Real quick, Jason says you've disabled playback on websites other than YouTube. I did not know I did that. I will try to not make that do that. But I did not know about that. So I will look into that. Um, As far as Sausage Party goes, um, I have not heard nor seen anything about it. This is the first I'm hearing about your sausage party, sir.
1: Oh, so it's um, you know, Seth Rogen, Mr. Superbad. Yeah, Um, it's it's the first um, all like Pixar esque 3D animated adventure for an R rated audience.
0: Yeah, I saw a trailer for that a long ass time ago. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's finally coming out. It's like the the food, uh, all it wants to do is be taken home from the grocery store, but then once it realizes that it's going to be subjected to extreme torture and eaten. And I think they, they rebel and there's some sort of an adventure, but, um, fucking vegans. Yeah. It should be interesting. Yeah, I know. Right. So I'm, I'm excited about that, but, uh, yeah, but that's not chow chow at all. That's, uh, that's not Jallo. Let's talk about Jallo. Shall we? Let's do it. Let's do it. I've got, do it in the butt. Remember that song? No. My daughter's hair tie. (laughs) For those of you uh, at home watching the visual version. So I had the extreme privilege and pleasure to go to the Exhumed Films um, Italian Horror Festival last Sunday. And just an aside, those guys um, are really, uh, deserve some credit because they procured the original 1970, I guess, 78 and and 80 and 82 uh, reels of the Star Wars trilogy, like the original originals, and they had planned this humongous trilogy festival for the end of August, and they were cut down by the powers that be, Uh, I think it's 20th Century Fox, who basically came down upon them and said, we're sorry that you've sold uh, tickets to two days worth of this festival, um, but the only versions of the Star Wars trilogy that are allowed to go on a road show are the special editions from the late '90s, and so um, I don't know. You know, it's not like they confiscated the reels. I don't think. I guess they were privately owned, but you're not allowed to broadcast them at all. So they had to cancel that whole. Um, that, that whole festival and replace it with a Herschel Gordon Lewis festival. And I think I talked about that from on the horror show.
0: Yeah. No, that I'm, I'm sounds just, cool. Anyway. I'm just
1: remembering <laughs> like, I'm like now that I'm talking about HG Lewis. Um, yes. I did talk about that on the horror show, but anyway. Um, so I got there and I got to, I got there and I thought I was going to be late, but I wasn't late and I got a really good seat like towards the top. Oh, I'll tell you exactly what happened. So I walk in, And I'm over on the sort of right-hand side of the middle section. So the way that the theater is set up at the International House in Philadelphia is your typical movie theater theater with the stadium seating. And there's two small sections on either side and a large section in the middle. So I go around the one side of the large section, and I go up about three-quarters of the way, and I find a seat on the aisle because I like the aisle seat and Suspiria is about to start, and I look in front of me, and there's a kid who was there with his dad, and he was probably 11, maybe 10, and I had a real big problem with this, because number one, that's the age when I started watching these films, <laughs> so Hypocrite City, um, but I, I couldn't in good conscience sit there and enjoy the movie knowing that, this kid that I probably would think was too young to watch the movie was sitting in front of me. So I got up and moved. I, I, I figured if I couldn't see him, then I wouldn't be bothered by him and his dad would have to deal with him without me being bothered by it. So I think I had some sort of a moral dilemma, but not not like a, a moral dilemma like, hey, tap the dad on the shoulder and say, you bastard, take your kid out of here. You Super know? bad. Yeah. yeah. And i don't know like i mean everybody's kid is different I mean, my son is is mature for his age so maybe at age 11 you can go see suspiria what do i know but um i don't know about torso though that one's that one's pretty heavy anyway so the uh so i moved again and suspiria started and suspiria was um, hang on let me mute that <laughs> We're not doing that talk back thing, so it doesn't matter. Um, Suspiria was as great as I remember it. It was the same print that I had seen before. There was a couple of scenes that were taken out, and I'm not sure exactly why they were taken out. Like, um, if you're familiar with Suspiria, there's a scene where um, the piano player who's blind he ties his seeing eye dog up in front of the dance academy, and he goes in to do his piano playing, and then the witch and the little demon boy walk past the dog. And then the next scene, the one witch comes in and she's like, Daniel, you know, your dog just attacked a child or whatever. And he freaks out and he leaves. And he's like, you guys are all nuts and whatever. That whole scene was missing from the print that I saw. So basically something was going on. And then all of a sudden they cut to the scene where Daniel is in the town square Mm -hmm. and that weird, like that weird scene where there was the bird's eye view of the camera comes swooping down and then the dog eventually attacks him and bites him so but i think it had some censored pieces like you know the opening murder um they show the glass that cuts that girl's face in half at the end um that was not uh in the print that i saw they cut away from that but at any rate, it didn't matter. See, seeing Suspiria on the big screen is always great. And then uh, the moment that I had been waiting for was Eyeball. And so Hell yeah. And the Eyeball intro was different than the one I had seen before. So the one I had seen um, was the one that had a French title that said something about the labyrinth, some some sort of labyrinth. And yeah, it was yeah. it was like um, the car uh, running through the um, the little haunted house maze type thing. Yeah. And they were playing the da, 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 da. So this intro was different. It was still shots of some of the freaky things inside the haunted house, but it, it was different kind of music. It was just like creepy music. And then all of a sudden, this single circle that turned into an eyeball comes on the screen and the words eyeball go across. And then the skull comes out and eyeball comes flying out of its eyeball. Onto the screen and it was like it was so awesome I was like this is fantastic I loved it and um, but the rest of the movie was pretty much uncensored I don't I mean I haven't seen it a zillion times to know um, any of the nuances that might have been left out or added back in but um, it was in English and the print was basically what we're used to as far as the quality visual quality is concerned it's like washed out like everything is red in that movie to a certain extent it's got a red yeah. tint to it um but i um i mean the the freaking audience loved it they just ate it up especially the scenes where the tour guide kept tormenting that one girl with like all the little stupid stuff like he put that little bug uh under her plate and she um t- Oh, you know, lift the lid up and it started jumping around and he starts laughing and then they close up on him and he gives like a big wink and the crowd, the movie theater just freaking lost it. They loved that part. They loved all of it. Like even the, like the thing that was weird for me was that there was people laughing at weird parts in Suspiria that weren't supposed to be laughed at because I guess because it's, it's dated it doesn't necessarily hold up, but they were laughing in the eyeball sections exactly where they were supposed to. I mean, it was like, so ridiculous. Some of the stuff that was going on and, um, yeah. So, I mean, I really, really like the movie a lot better with an audience on a big screen and, um, I would love to see it remastered in a nice, you know, it doesn't have to be Blu-ray, but just the, the you know, the original negative at least with the right colors and, and everything would be really nice to have on a DVD or something. Um, one of the things that I didn't remember about the film was that at the end, there was a picture that the, the one girl who survived um, with the big afro, um, her girlfriend was the photographer. And there was a scene um, at the very end where she found some film and developed it. And I think like the killer came in to kill her and the cop was like well this is different because she hasn't had her eyeball poked out so there was a different reason for this killing or whatever and then at the very end it turns out that they developed a picture and it was the scene in the beginning where the first girl got killed and it was the killer, like a picture of the killer with the red gloves on and I don't, I didn't remember that from watching the movie, like it was, it was clear from that picture like who the killer was. It wasn't even like a hint. Like, oh, this this is a good clue. Like, they they developed that picture, and then um, the picture was, like, clearly her. Like, here she is. Like, ta-da, here, I'm the killer.
0: That's why that is, like, the greatest reveal ever.
1: It is. It is. And the crowd went nuts. They saw that, and they're like, oh, my God. Like, you know, if you had that picture 30 minutes ago, so many people would have been, you know, saved. So many lives would have been saved. So it was really funny. But, um... But then I got up and, and split because I, I just, I wasn't going to, if the next film had been Torso, I probably would have stayed. But the next film was um, The Black Cat by Fulci, which I've never seen. It might even be very good. I don't know. Um, Fulci's later period is a little weird. Um, and then after that was, ba- uh, was uh, Barren Blood by Mario Bava, which I probably would have stayed. But if they, had done, um, if they had done Bay of Blood instead, that would have been amazing um but incidentally they are showing uh bay of blood at the drive-in um i think next month oh my god which is like the best place to see that because i think that was like one of the original like drive-in horror slashers are you going to that nah it's like a two-hour drive (laughs) i don't think i could do it it's like drive drive out there two hours and wait until 10 o'clock to watch a movie and then it's 12 o'clock and then you have two hour drive home yeah i don't think i'm gonna do it so but yeah it was it was awesome i hope that uh i hope they do more of these i think there's some other one that's happening in like scranton maybe with some slashers or some some italian horror i'm not sure but uh it was a lot of fun so i'm really glad i went to see it i have a newfound appreciation for eyeball finally yeah yeah and um Is it Jack, I'm going to slaughter his last name, the guy who just took a million pictures Mm. in Barcelona with the freaking poncho on? Carswell. Yeah. Carswell. That dude, he's my new freaking hero for doing that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know if you saw it, but he also did some pictures from uh, Strange Vice and Miss Ward. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did see that. Oh, my God, dude. I'm so jealous. And I asked him, I'm like, are you staying at the Clipper? And he's like, no, I wish. But yeah oh yeah i see it right here nice but yeah that's that's some fucking amazing shit but that's i right. wanted to bring something up since you just talked about it um did you read the dario argento article today no um, no i
1: saw i saw a post about it it had something to do with him saying that he's mm, not thank you he's not into the uh, remake um yeah And the thing
0: is about it is that he said that through all the times that this has been going on and that something like the rights got bought like seven years ago to do the remake and it hasn't happened yet or whatever, but no one once has ever asked him anything. Like there hasn't been any input. He hasn't had anything to say about anything. He, there has just been absolutely no contact and all he hears about it is what he reads in the papers. Oh, wow. And, um, he's kind of irritated about that a little bit as one would be. Um, yeah. but I guess the director for it has, uh, Tilda Swinton and, um, oh fuck. Someone oh, just, else already cast in
1: it. I just read it. Dakota Johnson. Yeah, Dakota Johnson, that's right. Now, Tilda Swinton sounds like she would play one of the witch roles. Yeah,
0: dude, and that is actually a good casting choice, I think.
1: But Dakota Johnson is from the Fifty Shades of Grey, right? She's Don Johnson and
0: what's-her-fuck daughter?
1: Yeah, she would be um, Susie Banyan. I'm looking at her. She looks just like a Susie Banyan.
0: But yeah, he's he's against it because he says if you're gonna do it like a shot for shot thing, then it's not a remake and it's a copy. And if is, you're is that was that the idea that it was going to be? A I don't shot know. I don't know. But he said either do it that way or re-envision it somehow. And I right. think that they're going to re-envision it or anything huh. or some bullshit. I don't know. But anyway, so yeah, I don't. You know, happy. I don't
1: even know why I just made the assumption that argento would have had input on the remake like it doesn't have to be that way i mean basically it's the studio who owns it so if somebody decides to buy it from the studio because they want to remake it the the original creator and director has no say right unless they actually own the, the rights to the film like in the horror
0: world at least in america when people do remake something, like the original guy is like highly involved, like he comes right. on as like an executive producer or something like that. Um, but like, I don't know what about, I think it's what crazy about like the
1: crazy. Rob Zombie Halloween? with uh, <clears throat> John Carpenter involved in that?
0: Um, John Carpenter, as far as I know, has been involved in like all of his remakes. Huh. I don't know about Rob Zombie's Halloween, but like The Fog and right. um, that assault on Precinct 13 or whatever. Mm. Um, all those he had a lot to do with. But um, but like Toby Hooper was involved a bit with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, like, I mean, if you I don't know, I just I could understand why he's a little peeved about it. I mean, seven years of it and just hearing everything from a yeah. newspaper. Yeah, it's, it's true. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean that film, like okay, so Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it definitely the original represents, you know, uh, a very like it's it's a time capsule horror movie for sure. Yeah. Um, but something about Suspiria just has this unique look, and the look's going to be
0: totally different, and so it's going to be a totally different movie.
1: Yeah, and the I, sound too. I mean, the yeah. sound is so over the top in Suspiria. it's like so loud in certain spots and you know that those weird like kind of like they're like it's almost like a gong cymbal kind of rattling sound and, and yeah I mean it's it's great I, don't, I mean you know the, the question is why what's what's the I mean clearly the the why, the answer is we, we're trying to make money here because that's what we do but uh I don't
0: know. I mean, I'm going to just say something real quick to ease some shit. Um, I don't know what's going on with Google Hangouts right now. I had to reinstall it for updates. I don't know if Chris did, but I had to, I did not, but some people are having a hard, like they can't watch the video on the Google Hangouts page for some reason, but I guess you can on YouTube. So if you go to youtube.com and just search chow chow network, you'll find it say like live now or whatever. And if you want to chat, you could comment on the comments and I'll kind of keep an eye out for them. So, um, so yeah. So for the live viewers, that's what's happening right now. All right. Um, On another, Oh wait, no, now it's coming back to Google. So Argento saying the movie might be watchable. That's actually funny. Shame, Shame <laughs> on you! We're not allowed to. Oh, and the best thing about that article too is um, he talks about Dracula 3D and <laughs> what <it laughs> and what made it bad. So have uh, to go back and read that. If, if anything's worth reading, that bit about Dracula 3D is definitely worth <laughs> your time. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, just to let you uh, know a little stuff about the network stuff. Um, Yesterday, I posted um, Sexy Chow Chow, um, episode one for Blue Jeans, and um, we're doing this right now, and then tomorrow, I'm going to go ahead and post the eyeball video game for everybody um, as a download, um, so you guys could actually play it and go, huh, Um, (laughs) but uh, yeah, so... um, that is coming for you. And um, yeah, so if you want to help us out, if you go to patreon.com slash chow chow, um, you can find out all the different tiers and what suits you best and how much you love us. And that's it. So Ruby, are we moving into something that might be slightly
1: traumatic? Slightly traumatic, for sure. All right. Our feature presentation. Wait a minute! I should be doing the thing.
0: Hot dogs and popcorn ready because it's time (laughs) to put hot dog in your bun. (laughs) 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 Yeah.
1: Took me that long to find the hand clapping.
0: But the funny thing is, you always find that one super fast. I
1: don't know if you know if you well because once I have it up, I can jump right to the trombone. But I don't know if, if our uh, if our regular listeners have noticed that I find the sound effects. I use them once per show, and I never find them again, even though like they're always up now. So there it is. There's the crickets. It's funny because every time that you start it, bam,
0: <laughs> the little box pops up that says. Chris turned on the
1: Google Effects app, and I'm like, "Oh shit! <laughs> right. here, it here it comes!" Oh yeah, so you can see it happening. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so tonight's feature presentation. Speaking of Mr. Dario Argento, is Dario Argento's trauma.
0: maybe we need to do
1: no nah, that wouldn't be that would be good for a western chow chow western chow chow bang bang
0: <laughs> <laughs> or um do you like Hitchcock Which I actually do that's I do like good. Hitchcock but do you like that film yeah that film was actually kind of fun I haven't could, seen that's, it in a while. that's another
1: show that is another show so <gasps> Yeah. Um, you want to take this? or Yeah, take it. Um, right. I'm going to take it to the limit one more time. Oh my God, do it, friend. So, um, Mr. Dario Argento really needs no introduction, especially on this show. Um, the man who arguably ushered in the giallo genre uh, with his um, seminal work, the blur, Bird with the Crystal Plumage from 1970 um, followed that up with Cat of Nine Tails and Four Flies on Grey Velvet for what most people call the Animal Trilogy, the Giallo Trilogy. Um, they're not related or linked in any way except for the fact that their titles all have animals in them. Um, and of
0: they course, get progressively worse.
1: That, again, arguably progressively worse. <laughs> um, and so... Um, But of course we, you know, just to set the stage here, we need to give props where props are due, which is that Mr. Mario Bava came into the scene with uh, The Girl Who Knew Too Much, as well as a lot of these thrillers from Umberto Lenzi, and another film that um, Bava put out called Blood and Black Lace, which really set the tone for The Masked Killer Is Out There. Um, And Mr. Argento went on to have a illustrious career. and I think, you know, we were talking about Suspiria, which is what he's most famous for. It is not a Jalo. Uh, the second installment in that series, Inferno, is also not a Jalo. although there's some Jalo elements. There's a mystery aspect to it, and there's sort of an amateur detective, you could say, happening as well. Uh, but it's a little bit more supernatural than a normal giallo, so they don't really fall into those buckets. Um, he followed it up with Tenebrae, Phenomena, and Opera, which we haven't covered Phenomena. We covered Opera. and um, uh, Deep
0: Red's in there, too.
1: And Deep Red being probably his best, for, for, for me, his best film and his best giallo. Um, maybe not his best film, but definitely his best giallo. And then Tenebrae, of course, is is really great, too. So... But we're looking at the Stendhal syndrome, the Stendhal syndrome. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Not the Stendhal syndrome. <laughs> we're looking at trauma. I was like, what the fuck is I got. I, I'm looking at IMDb and I got them mixed oh, yeah. up. I, um. thought, I thought for some reason that Stendhal syndrome came out before trauma, but that wouldn't make any sense because um, Asia is older in Stendhal syndrome. So trauma was released in 1993 and it was a return to the Jalo form for Mr. Argento. Um, let me just take a look at, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of vamping here on, uh, the, um, details because I didn't do any, um, pre-work here. Um, but basically it looks like, uh, the usual cast of characters here, although I don't see Argento listed as, yeah, he's listed as, as a writing credit. Um, it stars Christopher Rydell and Asia Argento and Piper Laurie um, and some other people. And Brad Dourif. I don't know where he's from, but he's famous Child's for play. something. Child's play. Okay. Um, so what's interesting about this film is that it was entirely filmed in the United States from what I understand. Um, and it takes place in, I think Minneapolis. Yep. Um, <clears throat> And uh, like I said, it is a classic jalo, and it is um, Asia's first leading role. Um, And the story is a little bit complicated. Um, It's a it's 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 a jalo at its at its core, but it's very interesting, and it's an interesting twist on the whole jalo um motive what is the what is the killer's motivation kind of thing so the the film basically starts out with um a woman uh who is a chiropractor and she has a, a last minute client who comes for help and the the client turns out to be the killer he has this crazy device that's sort of like a drill but instead of it being a drill it's some sort of a steel wire that's connected at both sides, and then when you press a button, it contracts. So the killer puts the steel wire around the neck of some, of the, the victim and pushes the button, and um, by using the mechanics of this power tool, is able to sever their head off. Um, and I think the whole, um, I think the whole uh, kind of technique is that they get hit. In the head in a way that paralyzes them so that they're awake when this happens or something i think that was part of the the way they described it um so after this first girl or this this one woman is killed and we completely leave that scene we're then introduced to asia who's about to kill herself for who the hell knows why she has a million different reasons um she's on the side of a bridge and our hero Christopher Rydell, whose name is David, I think he's driving down the road in his giant jeep and decides that he's going to pull over in the middle of traffic and save her from herself. Um, and this is probably, you know, the part of the movie where people have the biggest problem because um, the movie itself—you um, could complain that it's too long. Um, although I really do think that they did. Um, have a lot of uh, story to unfold in this movie. I think they just took too long to do it. And then what they ended up doing to make it even longer was they spliced in this whole social commentary about anorexia um, that I'm assuming Argento had some sort of a uh, interest in uh, exposing in his film. So um, basically... His, uh, his uh, I guess...
0: Half his daughter Anna, the one he had with um, Nickelodeon, <clears throat> she was anorexic. And, oh, okay. So, uh, so it really, it really does. hit home.
1: It really hit home for for him. Then he had, he wanted to do something about that. So, the movie kind of takes a sharp turn to the right, where we're introduced to this girl. Um, Who's got some problems? It looks like she might be a drug addict. You can tell eventually that she has a, a bulimia uh, issue. I think it's bulimia where you eat and then purge, as opposed to anorexia where you just don't eat at all. But I could yeah. be wrong about that. That's um, or and, and you know it's possible that you know both of these things kind of work together. So eventually, somehow. Um, she's spotted in the, win- I mean, there's, there's so many dumb things that happen in this film. Like if she's trying to hide out from people that are after her, why would you eat in the window of a restaurant? Um, but then again, who would be able to spot her in the window of a restaurant, just driving by and realize that it was the person they were looking for. So these two guys in a white car with badges come and they take her home. So we're now introduced to her mother, and her father, her mother is some sort of a psychic who's about to have a seance. And um, it starts raining and Laura is uh, trapped in her room. And the woman uh, and all the all the people who are coming to participate in the seance come in. And this is Argento's classic thing where he does an establishment scene. Like he, he, he does something that um, is really the pinnacle scene that we have to return to as, investigators to try to figure out what happened, and it's this seance. So Piper Laurie's character is sitting around the table, and somehow she's able to channel the spirit of the woman that was just killed in the beginning. I'm not sure why or how that happened. There's a real kind of weird ambiguity in this film about what's actually supernatural and what's not. Um, I think we were supposed to assume that it really was an authentic séance; it wasn't just a, a hoax. Um, and we were really supposed to hear both voices during the séance. I don't know what you think about that, Creep. If that was so, if that was supposed to be legitimate or what, but um, ultimately, ultimately, um, Piper Laurie's character starts talking about uh, or, or starts channeling the voice of the woman who was the first victim uh, of the headhunter, the person who's chopping the heads off people. And so they say something about the killer is present. Um, and that's supposed to give you a clue like, okay, all these people sitting around this table or somewhere in this house are responsible, like somebody's responsible. So all of a sudden, tree breaks through the window. Piper Lori's character goes running out into the woods and um, is killed as far as we can tell. And then the father chases after the, the mom and he finds this corpse of Piper Laurie's character. And then he gets killed. Um, he gets killed with the, the noose around his neck, this um, electric noose. So now we know it's the same killer And then eventually, uh, Aura, or Laura, uh, Asia's character, comes running out, and she sees this figure holding up two severed heads, her mother's head and her father's head. And there's lightning strikes, and the killer takes the two heads and walks away. And then basically we have this movie now where that's basically the establishing scene. And we need to, you know, the cops come to try and figure out what's going on. Um, Laura or, or aura escapes because she doesn't want to go back to the clinic. She gets involved with the, um, the guy who picked her up, who just happens to be a sketch artist for a news station. And so they start their own kind of investigation. Um, And so the movie kind of goes along that way. We eventually starts to pick up speed and pick up steam and they start to figure out, you know, they, they, they start to figure out the clues and why are all these people related. And more and more people um, continue to get decapitated by this crazy killer. And um, there's a real cool scene, too, where the kid who lives next door um, witnesses some of the stuff and decides to go into the killer's house because he's chasing a lizard. And so there's this weird kind of comedy aspect to it. Because it's it's kind of lighthearted, even though like there's a killer there, um, and so so this this little boy who's basically interested in chasing butterflies, he goes into the killer's house and um, discovers a few things and then leaves. Um, but ultimately, um, we get to a point where almost all of the victims, or or I think uh, there's a picture that they find in, in their in their searching of clues, and I won't go through all the minutia of all the clues because they're all very illogical and, and, and far-fetched, but it's that's typical Argento and typical Giallo, right? So um, they eventually find this photograph and it has pictures of all of the people that have been killed so far, except for a couple. And so um, our two amateur detectives decide to go and warn the people who are still alive. Um, but it doesn't work. Uh, the one woman gets killed in the hotel um, and the other guy gets killed uh, with an elevator door. Um, and though they find things out about it, like it always, it only happens when it's raining. The killer only kills during the rain. Um, and then in order to kill this one woman, because it wasn't raining, uh, the killer set off the fire extinguishers in the hotel so that it would, the sprinklers would spray down inside the, in the room so that it would be appropriate to the, the MO. So um, that's basically it. I mean, I left out a lot of stuff that had to do with um, uh, this David character and aura and the idea that she has this problem with anorexia and, you know, this kind of love sort of love brother, sister, but also, lover relationship thing that they have going on. Yeah. Um, which is, was a little strange. Yeah. And um, it culminates with this doctor who um, I don't really understand very much about the doctor at all. Like he gave her these weird psychotropic berries to eat so that she would remember uh, what happened that night. But since, you know, we're eventually going to spoil this, he's in on it. I don't know why he wants her to remember. Uh, or maybe he just wants her to remember to see if she knows the truth or not. So, um, but the only thing that happens when she takes these berries is that she realizes that her mother and he were having an affair because she caught them having sex at one point. So... Eventually, I think um, it turns out that this doctor uh, gets um, captured by the cops and all of the heads of the people that were killed um, are in his trunk. And so we have that classic scene where the killer has been apprehended and the cops say the case is closed and now it's all over. And um, everybody lets their guard down, but we all know the real killer is still around. And um, for some reason or another, um, Asia's character leaves a note for David saying that she's gonna go kill herself. And so David goes into this stupor and, and relapses into his drug phase and decides to try to get some fake prescription and um, is laying on the side of the road and. Sees a clue that leads him to a house where the end scene is revealed, and the end scene is amazing, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, because it's the best part of the film. So, um, before we get to that reveal, I spoke a lot. So, <laughs> no, that was uh, good, dude. I don't know how you um, how you got. Wh- up until this point, how you how are you taking the film? You'd seen it before, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this
0: movie is good, but like the relationship between him and her was always such a stretch for me. Because like I just felt like if he's supposed to be this like professional dude, like every chance he took seemed really unlikely with her and yeah. the whole relationship building was just fucking weird. And, um, and I think this might be one of those things that like in Italy, it might not be as frowned upon or something yeah. like that, mm-hmm. but um, it just, it, it leaves you with like this like creepy feeling the whole movie. Like yeah. even when nothing weird is happening, it's still kind of creepy, but um,
1: <clears throat> yeah, like nothing ever really happened between the two of them. They kissed a couple of times and that was it. So
0: yeah, which still like bad situation. But anyway, yeah. um, the thing about this movie though um, that I like the most is how um, inspired by Twin Peaks it is. Mm-hmm. And it was made right after Twin Peaks ended and it has Piper Laurie in it um, from Twin Peaks. It right. has um, the main character girl's name sounds a lot like Laura. But, right. Um, the location isn't necessarily correct but it's a lot closer than italy is and then there's like there's a lot of music there's there's music parts that are very twin peaksy and then especially at the very end of the movie when the credits are playing there's like this like total twin peaksy vibe where the people are playing music on the porch yep and the girl that's dancing is the daughter anna from who had the anorexia or whatever. Oh, is it really? And then she died right after the movie came out. She, wow. Motorcycle accident or something.
1: Oh, that's awful.
0: But, um, I had no idea. So the twin peaksy stuff is what like draws me back to this movie. Right. um, More than anything else. But when you think about it, he turns a lot of stuff on its head. I mean, we haven't ruined the movie yet. Um, are we ruining the movie now? well I was gonna
1: say that I think I think the story is well written I think that um, the 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 motivation behind the killer and the method and the whole kind of the way that the the action kind of plays out with relate with, with regard to the, the killer and, and that whole thing I think that was really well written I think the problem was that the two leads that they cast were both terrible Awful. actors, terrible. Awful. And I know that you know he's going to cast Asia because he's trying to get her career started. Uh, Christopher Rydell, I didn't think he was very good either. Like there were some scene. It looked like there were some scenes where he ad libbed, and he probably did because maybe you know Argento wasn't able to communicate the script properly, like word for word to him. Um, so he just said, you know, this is what you're doing here, or I don't know. I, I I'm just guessing, but like there's a scene where. Um, Aura uh, goes to the Faraday Clinic. Uh, they take her back, and he walks in, and he goes up to the nurse, and he says, um, hi, can I have Aura Petrescu's room number, please? Like, that's the way you're going to, like, you're just going to go and just try that. Like that's your first thing to try, and she goes, "I'm sorry, I can't give out that information." And besides, visiting hours are over. Like <laughs> that made any sense. And then he decides he's gonna sneak, uh, sneak in. Now, um, one other thing I should say is the copy that I had. I'm not sure if it had something to do with um, the way that I ripped it from uh, the DVD because I I, I handbrake it off the DVD and watched it on my um, iPhone. But there were some scenes that were in it, uh, Italian language. I don't know if you saw uh, that version. Well, like uh-uh. so there are some scenes. They're, ex- they're extended scenes, and I think that they were not filmed. I think they were cut out. there. It's like a director's cut. I don't think they did an English version for that. So I'm thinking about um, there's a scene where um, – so the, the hottest girl in the whole movie is the, the, the lesbian's um, younger lover. Like, so there's the nurse who's one of the nurses who's about to get killed. She's like this older woman. And then there's this Asian like brunette lesbian lover. Like, she was like the hottest girl, I think, in the whole movie. Um, but there's a scene where um, she... <laughs> She, so, so so they go to, co- to confront her, to tell her, to warn her, but the way that they go to warn her is they look like they're about to attack her for some reason. And so she runs off uh, this woman, this nurse. she runs off in her red sob and drives to a hotel near the airport and parks right by the road so that they can see her car. And if you didn't want to be found, you would park kind of closer closer in, I would think. But at any rate, The scene where um, David and Aura go into the lobby to find out what room she's in and to get a room of their own is in Italian in the version that I watched. Um, So anyway, I don't know why I brought that up, but I thought that was weird because I had seen the movie before a few times. I used to have it on Laserdisc, believe it or not. And um, I don't remember there being any um, Italian scenes. So I think this version was off some sort of Blu-ray or something. Well,
0: the um, I just realized that David, David Lynch, like that whole thing too. But um, <clears throat> as far as the different cuts of the movie, in America and in the UK, the DVD um, cut has... Three minutes missing from the, I guess, theatrical cut. And it's mainly just um, elongated death scenes. Like a thing cutting the head off. But in Italy, there was, I think, an extra... I want to say ten minutes, but that might be generous. Um, There was, like, a lot of other scenes. And I think that was also released in Germany. Oh, okay. The scenes but like there's a scene where he calls her on the phone at the house. Yes. And they have a conversation that was added. Yeah. That that scene was in Italian for me. Did you, did you have the opening with Tom Savini? Mm,
1: No, the opening that I had was just the one with the paper cutouts of the guillotine scene in, in France.
0: I guess there's an opening where um, Tom Savini plays a character and gets cut off. And that makes the killer like remember to kill and start killing people.
1: Oh, okay. Interesting.
0: Um, But yeah, there were some scenes like that. Um, But uh,
1: yeah. So cool. So we'll, we'll spoil it for you now because why not? We, we promised we would. (laughs) Um, so basically David finds his way to this house after following, um, this shaded figure with a black trench coat who's wearing Laura's or Aura's, uh, bracelet with the snake. Um, and so he realizes that, uh, he, I guess he sees Aura in the window and then tries to break into the house and then, um, he's in this weird room where um, there's just all of these curtains and it's all white and dreamy. And you keep hearing the words, Nicholas, Nicholas, Nicholas. And um, all of a sudden the, sh- the shape of Piper Laurie's character comes through the curtains and whacks him on the head with something. Um, and he falls and he knocks over, what looks like a cradle, I guess, or a crib. And you can kind of make out, if you already know what happened, you know what it is. Um, if you don't know the ending yet, you kind of like, well, what's, what's going on here? But there's this weird kind of round object that's like dark and charred and, and burned up or whatever it is, it looks like it's all rotted um, that he lays next to for a second. And then she hits him again and he conks out. And then when he comes to, he's in some sort of a cell with Aura in the basement. And then Piper Lori comes down, and we have this big reveal scene. Uh, but no, we have two reveal scenes. So the yeah. first one is that Aura realizes that the night that she saw her parents die, um, she realized that it was her mother that was the killer because her mother was holding her own hair up and then the severed head of her father to make it look like the killer was hiding behind two heads, but instead it was really just the one head and then then Piper Laurie's character was the other head um, pretending to be a severed head, which if you go back and... Look it's at the totally original version. The yeah. It doesn't look the same at all. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it's yeah. the middle of the storm, and it's lightning, and it's raining, and so you got to suspend disbelief. So she realizes that her mother is the killer after all, and so then the mother comes down, and the mother reveals um, the reason why she's killed all these people, and it basically they flash back to this very gruesome scene of um, Piper Laurie's character. Uh, in labor, uh, in the middle of a thunderstorm um, in a hospital, and there's some sort of complication with the, with the birth. And then all of a sudden, lightning strikes, and the power goes out, and I think the bulb on one of the lights cracks and breaks and falls, and either the, the glass from the, the bulb decapitates the baby's head or because of the shock of the explosion the surgeon cuts the baby's head off with the scalpel they didn't really make that clear it was just all of a sudden everybody in the scene starts screaming because the baby now is dead and they its it's head's chopped off and everyone's freaking out and it's a pretty freaky scene like everybody's going nuts one woman is crying the other one's throwing up and screaming and they decide that instead of um, trying to deal with this um, emergency of this dead baby, um, they're going to just wheel <laughs> Piper Laurie off for some shock therapy to see if they can just make her forget that it ever happened. Yeah. And so she basically said, look, they, you know, they tried to shock, to shock the memory out of me, but it didn't work. And so I came back to take revenge on all of them and chop all their heads off. And so that was her whole motive. And, um, so the end scene is we've got our little guy, our little butterfly guy who we have forgotten all about, but lives next door and, uh, just decides, Hey, you know what? I'm going to, since I've, I've managed to steal the, um, the crazy, um, the the gadget, the, the, the decapitation gadget, he stole it and drops it down. And, uh, from the roof, I guess he's, he's, uh, he's like a a level above, like there's a hole in the floor or something and he drops it down over her neck and pushes the button and she is, um, killed. She is decapitated very similarly to the ending of deep red. Yeah. Um, which I won't spoil just in case you've never seen deep red, but, um, and I actually think I need to change the points on that because She wasn't accidentally killed, right? I don't know. Did the kid mean to do it? Like, he's like, I'm going to kill her. I don't know. It seemed like he put the rope down. I'm trying to remember. I have to go back and watch it. But did the rope go around her neck? But then did the button... Like, if he dropped it, then he certainly certainly couldn't have pushed the button himself. Because you have to hold that button, right? Yeah. To make it contract. And so... I'm going to call it accidental because it gets more points that way. Yeah. So um so her head gets ripped off and it it rolls a few times over and she says Nicholas, Nicholas, Nicholas when she, when her head rolls over and uh that's the end and uh the cops come and everything's cool and uh it's this horrible horrible thing that happened but now it's all over with and you know this somber ending, and the credits roll, and then all of a sudden the reggae band starts playing for some reason. Yeah, and uh, like you said, then it goes into this weird kind of um, like that uh, wh- whatever the name of that a- Angelo Baldamenti bu- music. Yeah, but twin reviews and shit. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, they're putting out
0: like a fucking bitchin' vinyl remaster of the soundtrack. If anyone gives a shit. Oh, that's awesome. Um, The thing about this, though, um, as you bring up Deep Red, there's a lot of correlations with Deep Red in this movie. And I think, like, the whole deal, like, with you have the psychic, like you had in Deep Red. Mm -hmm. And she gets killed in the pivotal scene of what the fuck's going on. But then it's like, hey, fuck you. She's not really dead. Ha ha. The killer's here. She said it because it's her. Yeah, right. (laughs) <laughs> You're like, right. <laughs> like a lot of it seemed like a lot of um, Argento, not making fun of himself, but like doing stuff he's done before, and then kind of flipping the script on it. Right. So, it, with that said, I think this movie has like a whole other level um, of watchability to fans. Uh-huh. It is. so agreed. That's just that's another fun part of it for me.
1: Do do you Uh, think that the, um, the scene where, um, Brad Dourif's head goes down the elevator shaft was a vertigo homage. Cause that's what it reminded me of.
0: Yeah. But at the same time, like just the whole elevator thing in general with deep red, right? You know, like, to me, when I'm watching this the whole time, I'm thinking like Deep Red and Cat of Ninetales and, Nine Tails and yes. um, things yep. like that. Like there's so many similarities. But um, but yeah, it's just... It's, it's weird because you kind of want to say like, what the fuck was he thinking? But at the same time, it's like, why... I mean, I don't know if it's a thing like where he's like, okay, people are expecting these kind of things from me because like you gotta understand too like at this period like the vhs tapes being everywhere yeah happening like the early 90s is when like 80s is when like the video stores happened but the early 90s is when like you could throw a rock in any direction and hit a fucking video store right so like he had to have known at this point that a lot of his movies even if they're not being like released legitimately are being bootlegged like fucking nobody's business so i don't know if he was like sitting there going okay i'm going to do the things that i do or i have done and fucking make them different like there's just there's so many weird little bits like as you watch it you'll say I've seen him do this before I've seen him do this before right and yes you could say that about any Dario Argento movie but right. this one it has like a there's just like something nice about it like a not calming but like a it's it's just it's nice as he's fucking his own shit up I
1: guess yeah yeah well I mean I, I, I think that um I think that all of the Argento jolly or, or even just all the Argento films uh, reflect the period and reflect kind of are self-referential to a certain extent. Um, I think that trauma... If I if, if there was a gun to my head and I had to pick between trauma and opera, I think I would probably pick trauma. Hell oh, yeah. Um, although... <laughs> There are some set pieces in opera that are really well done. Yeah, just the whole idea of the <clears throat> needles with the tape under the eyes and that sort of thing. Um, do you but, know what
0: the? Do you know what the budget of opera was?
1: No, by any chance?
0: Because I feel like almost like trauma is like a big turning point because he did. Um, what's that called? Two is it two evil eyes? Two right? evil eyes. Yep. He did that right before this with Romero, and that was, I believe, a American-funded thing. But trauma yep. was his first fully fledged American budget. But I'm trying to figure out if because trauma was a seven million dollar budget. Hmm. And I'm trying to figure out if this was the beginning of the decline of his big budgets that he was used to. Well,
1: I, I read, I read somewhere that he said that he hated filming in the U S and that he would never do it again after trauma. And I don't think he ever has filmed in the U S again. Um, what about
0: his, uh, masters of horror thing? Did he do that over there? uh, Oh, I don't know
1: that, um, Jennifer or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. but I know like Stendhal syndrome came after this uh-huh. and Stendhal syndrome is so different from anything that Argento has ever done because it's kind of like a giallo, but it's not because the person who's the bad guy is, is it's, it's almost like a, a polizio meets a giallo kind of hybrid. Um, but also kind of this dark, um, pre-millennium like year 2000 kind of generation x kind of gothic kind of thing not gothic um like uh, scary haunted houses gothic but like a goth um yeah. the, the the trend uh, the dress and, and the style trend yeah. um And Trauma, the thing about Trauma is it it looked really well filmed. It looked like it was too dark in a lot of scenes. Um, It looked very polished, but like you said, it did have that TV kind of feel, that Twin Peaks kind of soft. But I don't think he ever broke out of that.
0: Like after that. Yeah,
1: I don't think so either.
0: A lot of his stuff looks very TV. And a lot of his stuff I know was made for TV, yeah um, after this but like it's a- everything after this seems very different like trauma to me is like the the top of the the roof you know it's like all of his stuff before trauma all of his stuff after trauma
1: yeah i think you're right because <clears throat> i mean if you think about stendhal syndrome phantom of the opera kind of uh, doesn't really count Um, I don't know what the hell that was all about Um, Sleepless was good but like you said it's got that same look to it that TV look although you know for the sake of uh, TV he didn't dial down the gore at all I mean he kept things well actually um, in this movie he did dial down the
0: gore a lot Um, yeah the stuff that um, Tom Savini was supposed to do like almost every single thing um, he would come up and say, I, I want more suspense instead of gore. So we're not going to do this. Huh. Like one of the things that were supposed to happen was there were supposed to be one of the decapitations was supposed to happen be shot from inside the girl's mouth. Ooh. And, um, but then he wanted her to talk or something. So they scrapped the whole thing after Tom Savini made this big giant fucking head <laughs> inside of, but um <clears throat> I don't know. But um there was just a lot of um, stuff that got cut out of this. But it, I mean, I know that the gore in the other films is a little bit more gory. But I, I think almost Jalo is more cinematic than anything else he did in the 90s. Have you seen
1: that yet? No, I still haven't seen it. It might
0: just be because Adrian Brody's in it, but...
1: I got halfway through Mother of Tears and turned it off. Uh, I did watch Sleepless. I liked that one. I liked Sleepless. I think I remember it being the guy who was in Deep Red, who played opposite David Hemmings, was in Sleepless. And the card player was really bad. I remember the card player being really bad. Um so I one day I'd like to sit down and watch Jallo um, just because I when I heard that Argento was making Jallo, uh, and it was coming out in 2009, and I had already had the idea for my website, I said, this is it. If this film pushes it over the top and gets everybody interested in Jallo again, I'll have my site, and it'll already be up, and then it turned out that the film, nobody liked it. So what are you going to do?
0: You know what, though, dude? Like, I need to watch it again because, like, the first time I saw it was before we started doing the show. Right. And I I really liked it. So, um, I don't know. Maybe I was just drunk one night watching it, but I thought (laughs) it was a fun fucking movie. (laughs) But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know, like, we're supposed to be talking about trauma right now, but I feel like Argento's career has been so, out of anybody, I think his career is the most like under a microscope.
1: Well, and Uh, it's so polarizing too, because if you go from, you know, a certain point and then go backwards in time, it's just, some of the stuff is just absolutely brilliant. And then some of the other stuff towards the later side, I mean... It's weird. Like, um uh, it's kind of like Fulci. Fulci had the same situation where I think once he got past House by the Cemetery and started doing I think um some of these other films that were kind of like horror but they were a little on the weird side, like demonia and um murder rock and that sort of thing. Like he had some he had some real clunkers in there. But Fulci he directed a million films compared to to Argento, yeah, but Argento, like, um, you know, Suspiria, Inferno, Tenebrae—I mean, three in a row, unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable films—and then Opera, I think, came after that, and that kind of was a little bit different. I mean, people liked Opera when it came out; people were talking about how crazy it was. Um, and I think they're I think that the gimmicks that um, that uh, of Opera kind of outshined how bad of a film it was, like as, as far as the, well, script think, and the acting and the story I, I, and whatnot
0: to like Fangoria, like championing him to horror fans. Yes. Like, at that point, like he could have like taken a shit on a fucking piece of toast and put it out. And Fangoria would have said it was the greatest fucking thing that ever happened.
1: Yeah. And I think that <clears throat> opera was the film, where Fangoria was really like a yeah. heyday. And so opera was just, um, and there were books that were coming out at the time. I think Ch- uh, Charles Blown or Blone, he did this book called Deep Red, the horror handbook um, and did a, a big tribute to uh, Argento in that book. And so they were, they were pushing it really hard in, in America. I think it was partially because of how great Suspiria was and how much uh, you have this, you know, this filmmaker who was so underappreciated by the current, you know, crop of of kids that were watching slashers that didn't know anything about Argento at all.
0: And I think and, too, the the VHS boom made Suspiria like a much bigger hit. Yeah, over here. But um, I, don't well, know. I know that,
1: like, some of the older fans of of the of of horror. Um, got to see Suspiria when it made its rounds in the, in the late 70s in the drive-ins and the theaters. But um, Suspiria took a while to come out on VHS. Uh, I think it was in the 80s it finally came out. But um, I mean, just was-
0: imagine if you've never seen, like if you're back in that time and you had never seen anything like Suspiria and you go to the fucking drive-in Right. expecting just to see some shit movie that you could bang your girlfriend to. Yeah, right. And then fucking the colors of Suspiria fucking just start fucking flooding you. Like to, be, like, to see that something like that for the first time was probably fucking mind-blowing for a lot of people, dude. Like, oh, I, yeah. can't, I can't imagine what it would be like to not have seen all the stuff that I've seen And be able to see that without ever having any preconceived notions of what a super colorful, beautiful horror movie could be. Yeah. You know, it's just it's fucking crazy.
1: Especially the way that they start the film off with that ultra-violent opening scene. I mean, so I mean you got the colors and you got the music and you got this weird just look, and then all of a sudden all this craziness with the you know that this this unseen force that just kind of smashes its hand through the window and pulls the girl's face through the through the glass it's like crazy and i Absolutely mean there's crazy.
0: there's some like locations in that movie that are so unreal that yeah. it just it's nuts, but then at the same time there's a lot of shots in that movie that are fucking utter horseshit like <laughs> um like just in dialogue scenes outside and stuff like that's yeah. so awful. It's like, what the fuck is going on right here? But anyway, um, we're way off topic now, but, um, but yeah, Argento.
1: <laughs> so trauma did very well on the Jalo score. I have to say, um, I didn't get it, a chance to publish it. Um, but I watched it today at work and while I was watching it, I scored it. So for a 1993 film, Um, It got an 88 on the JALO score. Uh, So, And that's because basically what you said. I mean, Argento just referenced his own movies. Um, The only points it didn't get... um, Let me take a look here. It missed out on... It missed out on points because it didn't occur during the classic period. So... Uh, it missed out on five points there. Otherwise it got 55 out of 60. Um, It missed out on points because it didn't have an Italian location and it didn't have our classic um, three uh, composers who wrote the score. So um, it only lost six points there out of 30. And then the signatures, I mean, we had everything we had. Um, chase scene we had that guy who the, the fat guy who watched Oprah and Donahue as the comic relief character and we had all right now look I gave it a point for death from falling and really we're talking about the head that fell um, but he was still alive while he was falling so I'm giving it the point point. Um, and there actually was in one of these Scenes. i think it was the scene where brad dorff's character gets his head chopped off with the uh with the elevator there was a doll some sort of a doll in that scene like where did that come from so it got a doll, and there was a gay lesbian couple there was um photography there was pseudoscience there was a psychologist there was that visual misinterpretation so it got um, yeah. nine out of ten points uh, in that section, so eighty-eight points for trauma. Which and every is, uh, single
0: thing you just said is stuff that he's done more than once.
1: Oh yeah, it's absolutely it's
0: crazy. I'm beginning to think that the Jalo score is tailored to Mister Argento. Sir. Yeah, probably probably is. <laughs> oh man! But then probably- again, every movie that was made after Bird with the Crystal Plumage was tailored to be a movie like that
1: well who saw her die got a 92 don't torture a duckling got a 92 uh what have you done to solange got a 91 the red queen kills seven times 91 seven bloodstained orchids got an 88 um torso 86 so but i i didn't mention that deep red is in there four flies is in there tenebrae's in there uh, bird with the crystal plumage in there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely tailored to Argento. It's a combination of Argento and Bava and Martino and Fulci. And, but basically, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever the fuck I want. I don't care. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> like that answer. <laughs> That's a
0: good answer, man. <laughs> <clears throat> you, you should stick with that okay. one. There it is. So we like Trauma, and um, we think you should watch it because it's good. Um, Yeah,
1: I would just say that Trauma, it could have been so much better if they had cast a couple of different people in the role and figured out a way to kind of push that story along just a little bit more, uh, or a little bit quicker. I think I would have liked it more.
0: Quicker is the key word there. But I also think that... As a whole, how the reveal of the past um, trauma to the killer yeah. comes out is done better here than I think he's done in his other films.
1: Yeah. No, I liked it a lot. It was awesome. <clears throat> totally awesome.
0: Yee. All right. So um, the next time we do this show... Um. I would like to pick a film if you don't mind. Do it. What I would like to watch is a film that we talked about on um, the Chow Chow Roundtable.
1: Okay. And, which I didn't get a chance to listen to.
0: Oh, you should definitely listen to it. We talk about pseudoscience and jalo, jalo um, and pop culture, and um, sub genres of jalo. Cool. It was really. Uh, Good talk. But um, a movie that we did talk about that um, apparently I was the only one who have seen is one called um, The Bloodsucker Leads the Dance. Okay. I've heard of it. It it is very trashy. Um, Awesome. A heads up, there is some very graphic um, sexual action in this film. But it is um, definitely one to watch at least once um, if nothing more to say that you've watched it
1: <laughs> cool now is it considered a giallo yeah
0: I don't know how I'm gonna I'm gonna come right <laughs> out and say it um, it's, it's kinda iffy but no there are some definite um, giallo elements in it for sure
1: cool Italian gothic Oh, one of the plot keywords is vaginal masturbation. All right, there you go.
0: <laughs> you might actually have a movie that tops Sister Versla and um, Slaughter Hotel
1: <laughs>
0: for <laughs> utter crap. So <clears throat> get ready, because I'm ready. That's gonna be fun. We have to do something really crappy after watching an Argento movie. We yeah, gotta, um, we got to get our palate back.
1: <laughs> we have to come back to earth. Very good. I like that idea. So blood try to, sucker leads the dance.
0: Yeah, and the, the title I think is very misleading, kinda. <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So try to take a look at that film before you don't see it and then for those of you interested um blue jeans the gloria guida film that i did on sexy chow chow it is available on youtube in both um the unrated and the tv edit great so um if you want to take a look at that Ah. awesome what's next what's next for mm -hmm. the chow
1: chow network is it um
0: Um, I'm probably going to do a commentary on Thursday and then we'll have the Chow Chow radio on Friday. Don't know what that's going to be yet. Hmm. Um, but then, um, the next show we have apocalypse Chow on Monday and, um, Western Chow Chow on Tuesday. We're going to be doing Django with Franco Nero.
1: What's apocalypse Chow? Is that like a,
0: it's the post apocalyptic show. Okay. Those really fun, shitty action kinda sci-fi, not really sci-fi desert Mad Max ripoffs. That show oh, okay. very long.
1: Is that different? Like, is like, that different no.
0: than Sword and Sandal? Yes. Okay. This is this was like a big 80s
1: genre. Okay. Is that is Conquest <clears throat> one of those by Fulci? Fulci made a film called Conquest. I don't know if that's a sword and sandal epic film or if that's a post apocalyptic film. I don't know off
0: the top of my head. I don't think I've ever seen
1: that. But basically it's basically Mad Max um, clones. Then yeah,
0: that's probably the
1: idea. More of the apocalypse one. Clash of the Titans. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually y'all be getting back to horror chow chow, which I won't yeah. be able to participate in because I will be down the shore. For groovy end of summer times with the fam which sounds amazing absolutely but we will be
0: doing the church oh yeah that's right that'll be awesome yeah it's a weird movie the church well if you want to um add anything just voice record something real quick and send it over yeah there you go maybe i will you should cool man Alrighty, well until next time everybody, ciao ciao. Ciao ciao. Yay.